welcome to this episode of the Get to the Contest Small Business Podcast. Now today we're going to be covering off on a topic that uh, I get asked a lot and, and that is in relation to what is the best business structure that I should run my business from. So I've got a very popular from the last podcast guest, uh, Jeremy Fox, who is an expert in uh, business structuring. Welcome to the show, Jeremy, and what are your thoughts on what is the best business structure? Thanks, Warwick. Good to be here again. Look, you are correct in that it's one of the most common questions that uh, certainly I get asked, and I'm sure you do, um, and it's and it's obviously one of the things we, we tend to look at the first time we sit down with a potential client or a new client, covering off on the structure, making sure it's the the right one for them. So look, from my perspective, there's no perfect cookie cutter business structure. It's about setting up a structure that achieves a certain purpose. So for some clients, it might be a particular structure for other clients, a very different structure. Um, so having a, some sort of goal as to what may be achieved. And if, if that goal is not known, that that's uh, not necessarily a problem. But having some sort of understanding of what, what the ultimate outcome would be is quite helpful to picking a structure. Um, some of the outcomes might be, look, we're building the business up to run. We want to retain it in the family for the next 100 years or other possible outcomes. Maybe, look, we're looking to sell, to list, to bring in external partners at some point in time, which are all, all sort of good good um, possible outcomes. So the way that I'd approach any business structuring topic is to first of all look at the two drivers for picking one structure over another uh, which from my perspective are asset protection so keeping the family home and some personal assets out of the risk of running a business but also to keep the business owner themselves somewhat separate from the business operations so that if, if there are any business related issues whether it's tax issues suppliers customers uh, employees um, to give that that business owner some level of protection from the risks of running the business. And the second driver that I tend to focus on is, is with my accountant hat on, clearly minimising any necessary tax that's payable. Um, so just to run through sort of the, the basic structures that there are and, and to touch on how they relate to those couple of drivers. So the first business structure is a sole trader. Uh, I, I lump partnership in that insofar as they're very similar from a, a tax and a legal perspective. And we often see people who kick off a business, whether it's a, a corner shop or a, a little contracting business of some sort, kicking off as a sole trader or a partnership. The, the main benefit of that style of structure is, is basically free to, to set up. So for people starting out, that's often the first pick. You get an ABN and you're away. Looking at the couple of implications, though, from asset protection tax, from an asset protection perspective, anyone who's in a sole trader or a partnership arrangement, that person becomes the business themselves. The business and them are one. So looking at the sole trader, for example, let's say your local plumber kicks off a plumbing business, says, beauty, start with low costs. Let's just set up as a sole trader jumps online, gets an ABN, walks out the door, no no cost, and does his first job. Look, great, nice and cheap, but uh, I guess you get what you pay for sometimes. And from an asset protection perspective, that plumber then is the business. So that if you know, first job goes bad, there's maybe, a flood yeah, in the kitchen. A flood, something gets sued for 100 grand, he's exposed, very much exposed. Generally, a sole trader business is unusual to have over the long term. There's not really many positives other than a tax perspective. Uh, sorry, other than a cost perspective. From a from a tax perspective, the other challenge with a sole trader or a partnership arrangement um, is 
the nature of tax rates for individuals are such that they're um, progressive or marginal. So you know, the first $18,200 everybody earns is tax-free. The next slice of about 20 grand is taxed at 19%. You know, the next slice at 34, including Medicare levy, and then the next slice at 39 and so on and so forth. So as an individual, the tax rates are progressive or marginal as they call them. So the first 18200 that everybody earns is tax-free. Uh, the next slice of about 20 grand is taxed at, at 19%. The slice after that, 34%, including Medicare, Medicare levy. And then the slice after that, 39 and, and 47 being the top marginal tax bracket. Um, and the, the trouble with paying tax as an individual is once you pay tax or, or get assessed for tax in any given year, you move on to the next year and last year's gone and forgotten about. So you could have a bumpy year, sort of creep into the top marginal tax rate and next year be pretty quiet and be taxed at a much lower rate. But there's no sort of smoothing out or averaging over the years, which is a bit of a problem for sole traders in a seasonal business. <clears throat> How that sort of relates to partnerships is a partnership where you see is sort of one of the worst structures you can be in quite complicated from a tax perspective and a legal perspective um, but very exposed so so take that plumber for example said well i want to split some income off to the wife so look i might do a 150 grand of income i've got a stay-at-home uh wife or, or vice versa a female plumber with a stay-at-home husband um, want to split some income off to the second partner. Partnership structure, if, if that plumber went into partnership, both of those individuals are then exposed to the trading of the business. So let's say the business trades, racks up some tax debt, get, perhaps gets sued. Both husband and wife or partner and partner, in that case, exposed and, and equally several, sorry, jointly and severally liable for any debt debts of the business. Um, so almost the worst structure you could be in. One of the, one of the common strategies if there is some sort of risk in a business, regardless of your structure, is to try to keep one person as the asset accumulator and one person as the uh, as the at-risk person. So it might be the husband is in business in some form and the wife sort of accumulates the investment properties in the house and, and so on. So in that example, uh, if it was a sole trader plumber who managed to have a, something go wrong, at least if the wife owned the house, it wouldn't be at risk or it's better protected where even if, if they're in a partnership, the husband, something went wrong at work and had nothing to do with the wife, but the partnership was associated with the thing that went wrong, then both husband and wife could lose their assets, so therefore the house is at risk. Very much so, very much so. Um, so moving on to the next structure, which I'd see as a company structure, far better in terms of both asset protection and tax, naturally a little bit more expensive to set up and maintain. But from an asset protection side, there's there's two types of people at law. There's a what they call a natural person, so yeah, someone who's born, mum and a dad, uh, and a company. So a company is a person at law. So that's people who can go on contracts, people who can be party to lawsuits. So a company is a separate legal identity. So you take a business, if it's run in a company, whilst you would traditionally look at, say, the business person, in, in this case being a plumber, he might be the director of that company and, and also the shareholder or the owner of that company, but the company itself is the one running the business. And so nine times out of 10, the liabilities or risks of the trading rest solely with that company. Um, and, and usually worst case scenario, you know, some unforeseen circumstances, you know, maybe some financial issues, nine times out of 10, the, the company can die a natural death and the director and or shareholder sort of walk away without too much blowback on themselves. Um, naturally, there's a thousand different things that can happen with personal guarantees and banks and things where there is some sort of risk to the director, but the vast majority of the issues are, are sort of housed within that company structure. Um, and also from a tax perspective, a company has its own rate of tax. That rate of tax is separate to the individual behind that company. So there's just much more opportunity for planning around 
uh, smoothing out profits over time if there's good years and bad years, uh, and also much more opportunity to maximise tax in any given year by uh, splitting up the profit amongst the company and the individuals behind that company, whether it's wages or dividends that are sort of paid through. And I guess the preface that I tend to give to clients in any given structure is the structure itself doesn't really dictate your cash flow. Your cash flow is independent of your structure and you can maintain your cash flow and how much you decide to take in and out of whatever business accounts you have. Um, that, that is somewhat independent of the structure. The structure just sort of dictates what the cash flow is called. So where you're drawing money out of a company, for example, that might be a dividend, it might be a wage, it might be a loan. Um, but when you're in sole trader, land and you're drawing out money out of the business that's irrelevant from a tax perspective um, so companies are, are probably one of the most popular structures um, quite easy to understand understood by banks and insurance companies and and business people uh, the third structure that we would look at would be a trust um, the trusts have gained a lot of popularity over the years in that um, much better understood by insurance companies banks business people um, generally because they've got a lot of flexibility around how they work from a tax and a legal perspective. Um, trusts have been just out of interest to particular folks of mine over the last 15 years. Uh, it's done a lot, of, a, a lot of study and a lot of work around trusts. Um, and I guess importantly, not to sort of dictate history or anything or, or sort of go back and, and um, give you guys a history lesson, but trusts have effectively evolved out of common law. Um, so companies, someone sat down and designed a bunch of people sat down and designed companies as corporations law. Um, trusts have, have evolved out of England you know, in the early 1900s around land tax and things, and they've sort of evolved as their own little um, uh, sort of own little creation. So the way a trust works, um, the legal stuff is probably the easiest to explain in that a trust is simply an agreement. The best way to liken it to something is to a deceased estate, which in itself is a form of trust. So when someone dies, uh, presumably there's a will and that will creates a relationship. That, that will dictates the terms and conditions of that relationship. So that relationship might be, hey, look, I've passed away. Um, I've nominated, say, Warwick to be my executor. Um, so Warwick, for the period of the estate being managed under the terms of the will, you know, um, registers bank accounts, et cetera, disposes of assets and then passes those through to whatever beneficiaries are under the will. In a trust uh, so, so a deceased estate is actually a form of trust. Um, in a trust, there's a role of what they call a trustee, which is akin to an executive of an estate. So that's the legal identity behind that agreement, um, the person on contracts, the person who makes the decisions. Um, there's the trust deed itself, which is akin to the will. So that's the document that sets out terms and conditions. Uh, and then there's the beneficiaries, which same under the will, the beneficiaries of a trust are the ones who receive the benefit from that trust. So the most common, so there's heaps of common names people use for trust. The most common structure is uh, a discretionary trust, which means there's discretion around how the income flows through every year. Um, other types of trusts are things called a unit trust where people own units in them and that dictates an ownership um, amount. But for your vast majority of mum and dad style businesses, a discretionary trust is the trust that, that um, is looked at. Uh, discretionary trust also commonly called some people call it a family trust and I don't know if you get this but often when I'm speaking with clients and it, they, they sound more complicated than they are and people think it's something that the the Kerry Packers of the world and you have to be a, a mining magnate to have but in, in actual fact they're, they're very common in, in my experience so um, yeah just sort of I'd add that because a lot of the time uh, people get intimidated by the term 
and it's really just understanding the, the nature of the relationship and, and how it works and, and why the structure's there because uh, it's not that intimidating once you understand it. Yeah, very much so. And look, we often see people quite confused or bemused by the, the or bamboozled rather, by the, the um, concept of structuring and family trust. And it's always a good barbecue story. I think that's the way most investment property decisions are made and, and most you know business structuring decisions are made is they were made at the barbecue I was at on the weekend said he had a family trust and I think I want one. Um, so yeah, we get that quite a bit to understand after a, a, a couple of sessions around how they work. But from a tax perspective, that's where trusts are quite unique. So um, an individual and a company have their own rates of tax, whether they're a fixed rate or a, or a marginal rate as in the case of individuals. A trust itself doesn't physically pay tax or it shouldn't. Um, there are circumstances where, it, where they do, but that's... We want to avoid those yeah, ones. Yeah, we do. It's usually the worst case scenario. Um, so family trust or discretionary trust is a flow-through structure from a tax perspective. So uh, from a numbers uh, or accounting perspective, any tr- any income or, or profits that a trust makes, a family trust or a discretionary trust, um, they have to be nominated to one of the beneficiaries at the end of the year. So let's say your plumbing business makes 100 grand um, you know, during the year. That that family trust has to say, okay, of that hundred grand, who is that going to be distributed to, and who's going to get the benefit of that? That um, decision is made by the trustee, and the person who's nominated to receive the benefit of that is termed the beneficiary. So most deeds, so you can actually write anyone you like into your deed. You can put your neighbour, your sister, your whomever. Most discretionary trustees nominate an individual or a couple of individuals, so husband and wife, and then pivot off a whole group of relationships around that. So the vast majority of deeds will say, okay, the beneficiary is Warwick Jackson plus Warwick's parents, grandparents, kids, nephews, brothers, sisters. So lineal descendants who may or may not even be born. Yeah, definitely. And importantly, from those... Uh, the deed just establishes who could possibly benefit. There's no uh, requirement that they ever do and that whether they do or not, it's up to the trustee every year. Um, so usually the deeds are written quite widely so that that ability the trust trustee has to distribute money is, is broad and wide. Um, I guess from a tax perspective, what I would say is very most importantly, the worst case scenario you would have from a tax perspective is to put yourself back in the shoes of a sole trader. So take the plumber, for example, generates 100 grand in income. Um, well, let's say he's got a plumbing business, generates a million dollars in income. He's got some employees, etc. In a sole trader, the tax on that's huge, maybe 450 grand. In a, in a discretionary trust example, that million dollar profit, worst case scenario, he distributes a million dollars to himself and the, income, the tax is the same as it would have been in the sole trader. But he's got all the upside of saying, well, I've got all these other people in my family. I you know, might have some adult kids or a brother who's not working, some parents who are self-funded retirees, maybe another company I can distribute money to at a cheaper rate of tax. And all the flexibility year in, year, year out, um, and each year as each year ticks by, to pick whatever best suits that year. Um, so that if in a particular year, Maybe he's got some other personal income, some investment income or something, and he's got the ability to then say, well, I don't want to distribute that to myself. I might distribute that somewhere else. So you can pick and choose year in, year out. You don't have to get the same percentages or anything like that in most family trust uh, deeds. You've got the flexibility. Um, And as you said, you might have a situation where you're selling a rental property. You've got a massive capital gain personally, and you may not want to include your business income against that because you don't want to be at the top marginal tax rate. So you want to 
um, pick and choose where we give it to. Yeah, definitely agree. So, so my um, my phraseology around that's usually divide and conquer. So, you know, if sole trader and some income is taxed and that one lump sum, nothing you can do. In a trust, you can divide and conquer. So you can split it up how you like in any given year, pursuant to the deed itself. Because at a much smaller level, say a $200,000 uh, income in one person's name, the tax on that is a hell of a lot higher than the sum of four lots of 50,000 across four people or two, or in a typical example, say two lots of 100,000 in you know, husband and wife scenario. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Yep. Um, so the final role with the trust being the trustee, uh, which we touched on, when if we're talking about a business structure and if we're looking at a trust itself being in business, then the trustee is actually the legal identity that's in business on behalf of the trust. So where when a trust is trading, if you like, we would often suggest that a company is the best trustee so that if someone's suing the business structure, they've got to sue a person, which is only an individual or a company. Uh, and if someone's suing a business, generally they're suing the trustee of that trust. Um, so you, the usual scenario is to have a, a company there as a trustee, which does nothing else, just to give that person behind that company the layer of protection that you know they can walk away ideally and the thing dies a natural death. Um, which, look, we always approach these structuring from perspective of you don't want to be that 1% risk, if you like. So if there's a way to say, I'm never going to be sued, everything's going to be hunky-dory, which 99 times out of 100 it is. I mean, we don't see too many, but the odd client, for whatever reason, sometimes through no fault of their own, does some unforeseen circumstances and, you know, goes under. Um, yeah, and, and, and to add to that, probably the most likely is sometimes through no fault of their own, they, they're in a, a business situation where they've perhaps had a supplier or not a supplier, a key customer. They've done a whole lot of work, racked up some debt with the ATO, but then they've never been paid by a key customer and then they, they, they can't continue um, because they've been left um, with a, a whole lot of invoices that they're not going to get paid. That's a situation where at least if they've done everything else, they've got a, a trust or a company structure, there's the potential to protect themselves from having to pay their creditors, of which the ATO is often a, a critical one. Mm. Um and, and the way, I guess, as opposed to if they're at a sole trader level where you can't sort of put your, put up the white flag and say, I'm, I'm walking away because you are, there is no difference between the, the sole trader business and, and you personally. So definitely critical point there. And as you said, the 99% of the time, it doesn't matter. Uh, prepare for the worst. And it's a, it's a, if it never happens, well, you never regret it. The times when, when businesses haven't haven't taken this step or haven't taken this structuring, that's no one ever regrets when if things do go bad that they've had this company or, or trust structure in place. Right? Yeah, so. definitely. And I guess we're as accountants, we're in the business of giving people peace of mind and helping them sleep at night and, and knowing everything's protected. So, and no one ever plans to get start a business thinking they're going to lose money; otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Um, so, yeah. It, it, the, it'll never happen to me is, is an often uh, a phrase that I, I see sometimes. And, and look, often you deal with clients with absolutely super low risk businesses and it's a fair enough statement, but if you're a trading business out there and of any size, there's so many things that can go wrong that are beyond your control. Um, so it's certainly worth, you know, this is why the asset protection is so important. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and one of the best, just on that, one of the best uh, terminologies, I guess, that I've ever heard from a a liquidator around when things do turn bad. And look, we sort of help people plan for that and, and sort of get through the other side. But one of the best um, phraseologies I've heard is the system's designed to encourage entrepreneurship. So the, 
you know, a company structure, a trust structure, the connotations of protecting yourself if things go bad is in is um, set up basically so that look people can have a go at entrepreneurship if it doesn't work out, you know, it doesn't work out, and and people can get another chance sort of thing. So yeah, we, we tend to steer people away from the individual structures like partnerships and sole traders, um, particularly, I guess for, for me, the, the big impetus is not to be a sole trader or partnership is if you're dealing with the public or you've got any employees of any sort, that warrants a level of risk or that carries with it a level of risk that generally warrants with it some other structure that involves a company just to give that business owner a layer of protection. Look, there's a whole bunch of other stuff to to consider around licensing issues, employment costs, uh, in that if you're in another structure other than sole trader, there's um, potential employment costs like super and workers' comp, et cetera. Um, but from my perspective, some of the best structures that I've seen. Um, so if I was to sit with a client today and they had uh, one principal income owner, a husband or wife, and some business they were kicking off, and there was no other rhyme or reason for anything weird and wonderful. Who would say, okay, company structure, you know, is often the best business structure. It's easily understood by banks and insurance companies. Um, let's say someone's in the import-export game. They might import, you know, export, make half a million dollars this year. We would often say a company might be the simplest to do that with in terms of any licensing issues, uh, banking, insurances, etc. cetera. Um, but that company itself might be owned by a family trust or a discretionary trust so that as the company generates profits, uh, may or may not pay some tax on those over time, the company can then declare a dividend through to the trust. And that trust can, as I said before, divide and conquer, spread that across the individuals within that business owner's family group uh, and hopefully minimise tax along the way. Um, the other structures um, separate to the business side that we'd be looking at generally is when people are investing, um, so one of the common questions I get from property investors, we, we look after a bunch of property investors and developers, uh, is around what is the best structure to do that in. One of the biggest costs to considering the structures for people in property is land tax. Um, so in New South Wales, where we're based, most trusts carry with them a, a land tax at the level of 1.6% on the land value every year. So... Uh, whilst there may be a tax structure that says, hey, yeah, the trust is probably the best, if you're going to be copying 1.6% of the land value in tax is in a separate state government tax every year, um, that sort of... Takes some of the fun out yeah, of it. To, yeah, to, it does take some yeah. of the fun out. It just becomes part of the cost-benefit equation. Yeah, and, and I guess cost-benefit equation is exactly right. So when I'm, when I'm sitting down and talking to clients around this, there is no best one. It's just a matter of going, hey, here's the pros, here's the cons and helping them understand so they can they can make a decision themselves. So, um, again, same with, you know, so on the land tax, it's a real, very real thing. It might be, yep, yeah, you've got to pay it, but it might be, the structure might be offering so much other protection um, based on the other facets of their life uh, and some t- good tax, other, other better tax outcomes that they're actually, they're prepared to wear the land tax so that they uh, can have those other benefits. So... There's a bit of give and take and, you know, they've got to make that decision. Um, so I guess one of the things is understanding that there's no perfect structure, but also sometimes through dealing with people such as yourself, you can actually do a little bit of a hybrid sometimes and, as you, as you said, have the company with the family trust structure or, or you know, it's definitely worth speaking to someone who understands these structures and they can explain how to get, you know, the, the best. It's not necessarily one... Um, you know, you can, you know, the, the structure you just described earlier is one 
um, permutation of a structure which can deliver a great outcome. But, yeah, agree. And look, so, there, there is, just to continue on from what Warwick sort of said there, there is a bunch of other reasons you might be looking at other structures, uh, particularly around sale and capital gains tax. There's a whole lot of concessions around capital gains tax for small businesses, um, which which can often lead to some little permutations and combinations of that structure. You know, people who are giving money to tax-exempt bodies um, might have a slightly different structure to achieve that purpose. I guess some of the other little quick tips that we would encounter uh, around business people just to tidy up their asset protection um, is generally, I mean, if you've got a company that's in business uh, where, you, where you do want to separate perhaps the business risk from the asset owner, we, we often see companies with multiple directors. So you've got someone in business, maybe themselves and their partner are in are both directors of that business. Um, generally, there's no benefit to having more than one director unless it's needed for any particular licensing issues. So you'd, we would often see the director as having some level of risk in the business. And so we'd say, look, unless there's any net reason to you'd often have one director in that business. Um, but also where you've got a, a company structure that you put money into, um, good housekeeping, which I'm surprised more people don't do it, is let, let's say you put 100 grand in to kick off a business of any sort. If that structure is a company, the lender or the, or the person putting the money into that company can register a, a, on the PPSR as, as a secured creditor so that in the event of anything unforeseen, they become the first ranking creditors. They get paid back before anyone else does. Um, so just some really good housekeeping that is often missed. Whereas if they don't do that and things go pear-shaped, they can actually, you can't just go and pay yourself whatever's left and, and say there's nothing else. Like you actually have to take cents in the dollar like everyone else does um, and, and, you know, simple steps could take it so that you maximise, so you, you you get paid first. Yeah, definitely. And it's not, I guess I see structuring because we, we see businesses do really well, work with a lot of entrepreneurial guys kicking off a business and doing fantastically well. Um, and other guys, perhaps that that for whatever reason need to pull that that white flag up and, and pull the parachute. Uh, and it's amazing how when you've walked through the liquidation process or, or the the business um, sort of closure or, or lawsuit process, it's amazing how much the structure does dictate the outcome of that. Um, and it's also amazing how simple it is to get stuff right. So you know, business trading in a company, not a personal name, and, and money that's lent in being guaranteed and, and secured, that that sort of thing. It's often simple structure that makes a massive difference on the way out. Yep, and, and definitely. And conversely, if you get it wrong at the beginning, it can be very difficult or very expensive to fix. So that's where uh, if you think about doing anything, reach out to your accountant, hopefully – myself or Jeremy at Fox Group, but uh, reach out to your accountant because uh, examples of, you know, we've both seen um, train wrecks where people have just bought the things in the wrong entity uh, and sometimes, um, you know, clients have come to us uh, not having sought advice or perhaps have had, having had poor advice and they've bought, say, a, a major asset in a trading company, um, which is, you know, could be a, bit, a commercial premises or a building or something in the same trading entity and it's just the worst for asset protection and tax and it's just worse for everything and really expensive because you've got to pay if you were to transfer it out you've got to pay stamp duty and move it out and it becomes quite difficult so um i guess with structuring one of the things is i say well do it take the time to get it right at the beginning because it can be hard to unwind yeah and the, the sooner the sooner it's done right the cheaper it always the generally the cheaper it is um and, and people there's no perfect structure. There's the best choice amongst where you think you're going to go. Um, but the sooner it's right, the cheaper it is. I mean, we, we've worked with clients who have restructured 
large and small businesses and, and to restructure a business down the track if you're changing your trading entity is actually a big deal as insurances, savings, bank accounts, supplier accounts, uh, a whole bunch of stuff that changes. Um, so the, the best time to get it right is right at the start for sure. And on top of that, also can be triggering capital gains uh, yeah, don't, and, don't and other tax consequences as well. So, look, where possible, uh, take the time to get it right at the beginning. Um, that's not to say that, you know, the right decision for you, say, at the time, two, three years down the track, your business could have grown or changed or, or pivoted, in which case, well, yes, you can restructure again, but again, like let, let's at least assess that at the beginning. So we've got a structure that, will perhaps best enable that to happen without it being a, a major compliance and costly ordeal uh, as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, we, we've seen clients who have gone through that restructuring process with, with little pain and sometimes there's a little benefit to doing it. There's, you know, clients we've seen, uh, say, trading through a family trust, looking to involve other key employees as part of the owners of the business, which you can't really do in a family trust scenario, restructure into a company and invite other other shareholders in. And, and yeah, I mean... Structures aren't necessarily sort of carved in the tablet, so to speak, you know, set in stone, but but um, there is often a whole bunch of considerations when restructuring stamp duties, capital gains tax, administration costs, accounting fees, legal fees, you know, the list goes on. So, uh, yeah, so I'd really encourage it. I mean, we, we tend to, um, and when we're looking at client situations, we tend to look at it first and say, okay, the first thing we'll do, make sure your structure's right for you. And then let's review it every couple of years to say, okay, do we need to add anything? Do we need to change anything? Um, are you still, is your plan still the same? And yeah, I'd be pretty, suggest to be pretty nimble with that. Um, just from the opportunities that often are created over time with different changes to the tax rules and everything. So, yep. All right, Jeremy. Well, well I, I think you've, you've pretty much summed up uh, a lot of the key things there for, you know, how to choose and why we would choose different business structures essentially never be a partnership we can take <laughs> out of that uh but uh, but look there, there's as as you said there's no right or wrong it just depends on where you're at and where you want to be and most importantly just reaching out to someone such as ourselves so that you can you know have a chat and and get the best fit for you at that time yeah for sure yeah for sure all right well uh thanks so much and uh look thanks again for being a guest on the the get to the contest small business podcast we look forward to having you on again our pleasure to be here all right look forward to the next time well there you have it that was my chat with jeremy fox talking about all things business structuring so look i really want to go through just a couple of key takeaways from from that and uh so let's go through them so one understanding the drivers of why are we having this what what are we looking to achieve our structure so ultimately those drivers are asset protection and tax so getting clear on the main thing we're looking to achieve uh, and and you know what whose assets we're looking to protect and what sort of uh, you know and make sure we've got the optimal tax answer that is uh, critical number two is simplicity so once you all, all structures carry with them an element of cost, either upfront or ongoing. So my experience is make sure you understand your structure, you choose it right uh, with some guidance, but you you know you 
keep it simple and most importantly, understand it. So if you don't understand your structure, spend the time with your accountant or if your accountant hasn't explained it, go and ask them or go to an accountant that will and get it all mud mapped and and clear so that you can run your business. Three, pros and cons. So there is no best structure, as Jeremy said. So really, uh, there's pros and cons around asset protection, cost, ongoing cost, commercial considerations and, and tax. So if you understand what the all the pros and cons are you can make an informed choice and sometimes there's as, as Jeremy said there can be things like land tax or anything like that that it's a, obviously a negative if, if that is outweighed by your asset protection issues or, or the other taxation benefits well you know you go into it eyes wide open happy to, to wear those downsides because there's plenty of upside or plenty of uh, protections that, that come from this structure uh, and look this goes without saying but happens a lot speak to an expert so look speak to an expert up front things can be very expensive to unwind take the time speak to an expert yes out of the four sort of you know sole trader partnership trust company you may actually find that you know someone that knows what they're doing uh, such as a really good uh, business accountant they can actually deliver a hybrid which will give you the best of both worlds and all the upside with nominal downside of of your structure so really important that you uh, speak up front and get it right at the beginning, ideally, to save the, the cost going, uh, attempting to fix it down the track. And and lastly, I guess it's just understanding the, the commercial considerations of looking, you know, what you're trying to achieve. So, uh, again, asset protection and, and tax are, are, are critical, uh, but other things such as, you know, like uh, the, the nature of the business you're doing, you know, do you want to take in business partners down the track? You know, are you going to be growing? Are you going to be, uh, you know, selling the asset? You know, building a business to sell down the track. So, all these things. Make sure you, you, you when you're choosing your structure, have have your chat with your accountant at the beginning, so that they can take it. You know, help you to make an informed choice. Because uh, if you're planning on, you know, bringing in business partners down the track, family trust, etc., or a sole trader, just doesn't work. Um, so there you have it. There's just a couple of the takeaways from the chat with Jeremy. Uh, really common question that we get asked, and, and hopefully uh, this this episode has helped you answer or answer a lot of your questions. Take care, and look forward to seeing you next time on the Get to the Contest Small Business Podcast. Bye for now.